Greetings and welcome to the Southern Witching Hour podcast. You are now entering a liminal space, an in-between place, a realm of Southern supernatural stories and lore told in timeless time. For those of you who need more specifics, the Southern Witching Hour is right now, and I am your host, Lady G, a natural-born historian, storyteller, humorist, and writer with family ties in Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Now, if you're looking for me, I'll be in the southern skies, north of the sunset, east of the moonrise at twilight. In today's episode, we're talking about supernatural lore related to bodies of water. Now, I'll admit that I've always been fascinated by rivers, lakes, streams, creeks, ponds, honey, you name it. (laughs) I guess that's because I've always lived near water. You see, my parents are from a small town in Alabama that is almost completely surrounded by water. In fact, the Chattahoochee River, which runs along the border of Alabama and Georgia, flows right beside it. Now, living near water like that has historically been a good thing for most folks because as long as you had some bait, a bucket to sit on, and a fishing pole, you could always eat, even if you didn't have a dime extra. Honey, I have seen many a man take some fish over to their mama, auntie, or woman's house. All she needed was some salt, meal, a cast iron skillet, and some grease to fry that fish up and serve it hot. Anyway, as I have said before, I've always lived near the water, specifically pretty major rivers in Georgia. Now, before I go too much further, let me touch on a few facts about rivers. This might add some context as to why they are rife with supernatural lore and superstitions. So when you really think about the nature of rivers, you start to realize why folks found them to be so mysterious. I mean, they usually start somewhere quite far away from where they end up. So take the Mississippi River, for example. Its headwaters, or the starting point, are located in Minnesota, and its mouth empties into the Gulf of Mexico, just south of Louisiana. Now, honey, that is a long, long, long way. It's about, I don't know, two or 3,000 miles. Now, all kinds of things can happen between Minnesota and Louisiana, and you better bet it did. Rivers play a huge role in our lives. We use them for shipping and transportation, but most importantly, they are major sources for water, food, and power. And of course, they support all kinds of wildlife. Clearly, there's a lot of stuff happening on rivers, so you know tales and superstitions can't be far away. Think about all of the sunken vessels, drownings, lost loves, people who sailed away and never came back again. Maybe they didn't die, they just never came back again. Not to mention natural hazards like whirlpools, drop-offs like waterfalls, and strong undercurrents. You know, how did our ancestors explain these things? Uh, Witches, uh, underground sea monsters, haints, demons? (laughs) No doubt all of these things easily gave rise to superstitions, scary monsters, and legends. By the way, it's also important to remember that folks used rivers to engage in various spiritual practices 
including baptisms and other rites. However, there has been a mystery involving the Chattahoochee River that investigators suspect is ritual sacrifice. Hmm, but by who? <laughs> Honey, we'll talk about that later. So if you're on a boat or sitting on a riverbank on your bucket, there is plenty of reason to beware. <laughs> now, I've got a couple of creepy tales related to rivers and also other bodies of water. The first one involves the Yazoo River in Mississippi. Now, the Yazoo runs alongside the Mississippi River, but it later joins the river in Vicksburg, Mississippi. So here's the story, and I'm pulling this from Visit Yazoo. Now, the article that I'm reading is The Legend of the Witch of Yazoo. Located in the middle of the historic section of Glenwood Cemetery, Yazoo City's public cemetery, is a grave surrounded by chain links known as the Witch's Grave. The Legend of the Witch of Yazoo became famous in Willie Morris's book, Good Old Boy, published in 1971. This story is an example of the unusual folklore surrounding Yazoo County. Many have pointed out that the grave and the legend were there long before Morris was born and that the chain had been broken for a long time. According to the legend, the old woman lived on the Yazoo River and was caught torturing fishermen who she lured in off the river. The sheriff is said to have chased her through the swamp, where she was half drowned in quicksand by the time the sheriff caught up with her. As she was sinking, she swore her revenge on Yazoo City and on the town's people. In 20 years, I will return and burn this town to the ground. No one thought much of it at the time. Then came May 25th, 1904. The fire of 1904 destroyed over 200 residents and nearly every business in Yazoo City, 324 buildings in total. Many theories evolved as to how the fire started, but none were conclusive. The most popular theory is that the fire started in the parlor of a young Miss Wise who was in preparation for her wedding to be held later that day. While this is quite possible and certainly innocent enough, it is the strange and fierce winds that were blowing on that fateful day. The flames were said by witnesses to have jumped through the air as if driven by some supernatural forceful winds. This is one of the eeriest facts of the story. Weather reports from May 25, 1904 make no mention of high winds in the area. Now that's crazy, honey. <laughs> now, did you know that there is a network of roads that run the length of the Mississippi? And they call it the Great Road or something like that. The Great River Road, actually, is what they call it. And I'm going to put a link to it in the um, show notes so that you can um, learn a little bit more about this. You know, it looks like it would be an interesting trip to take if you want to go all the way from the headwaters of the Mississippi up in Minnesota, as I said, all the way down into Louisiana. So if any of you have ever actually traveled that network of highways called the Great River Road, let me know. I would definitely like to hear about it. 
Now, the Mississippi does not own the rights on scary stories and superstitions and lore. <laughs> so let me tell you about the Chattahoochee River. They have something called the tie snake, the Chattahoochee River tie snake. Now, I'm reading from an article from Columbus, Georgia now, and I'm going to include links to that article in the show notes. So long before the city of Columbus was settled, much of the Chattahoochee Valley was inhabited by Indian tribes. This area was well known as being home to a large Creek Indian settlement. Creek legend told of a serpent that lurked in the waters of the Chattahoochee River near what is now downtown Columbus. The legend told of a mythological monster known as the tie snake. I'm getting tongue-tied, y'all. <laughs> tie snakes were said to be venomous serpents that carried a large amount of strength and were known for snatching humans and dragging them to the watery underground. The legend describes the snakes as being the size of normal snakes and appearing like normal snakes. Some legends suggest that tie snakes were horned serpents in appearance. Creek legend says that a tie snake inhabited the Chattahoochee near what is now downtown Columbus. The legend holds so much footing that in 2004, a historical marker was placed along the Phoenix City Riverwalk, marking the location of where the tie snake was said to inhabit. While recently there have been no reports of the serpent rising from the Chattahoochee or snatching people into the river, the Chattahoochee is still home to several species of snakes, both venomous and non-venomous, including water snakes and cottonmouths. Like most other species of snakes, the snakes that live in or near the river try their best to avoid interactions with humans and are not trying to drag unsuspecting humans to their watery grace. And honey, that might be true, but I don't fool around with snakes of no shape, form, nor fashion. So whether it's a tie snake or a die snake or a cottonmouth or a, what's the more mean snakes that water moccasins child, honey, my granddaddy used to say them things will chase you. <laughs> I don't like snakes, <laughs> but the Chattahoochee, the Savannah River, the there's another river in Georgia, and I can't pronounce it very well, the Altamaha, something like that. All of them claim to have some sort of sea serpents lurking around like our own little southern Loch Ness monsters. I've also heard tales of a witch that lives along the Okmulgee River that's been known to steal away different people who sail down that river on their way out into the mouth of the Atlantic. <laughs> Rivers are not the only subject of lore when it comes to water bodies or bodies of water, I should say. The Gullah Geechee Nation are Black Americans who live along coastal North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Historically, they've lived in the marshy coastal areas, largely isolated from mainland parts of the states. They've been able to maintain West African traditions more so than Blacks, again, on the mainland. Their culture is so unique that they speak an English-based Creole language that is distinctly their own. Now, what I've told you about the Gullah Geechee Nation is a drop in the bucket. 
I'll leave links in the show notes. One more thing, Gullah Geechee land is being encroached upon by venture capitalists who are looking to get that land to build resorts and golf courses. So I'm going to leave a link again to the Gullah Geechee who are still continuing to fight for their land. Anyway, the Gullah Geechee tell a tale about a supernatural entity called a boo hag. Now, I grew up in Augusta, Georgia, which sits beside the Savannah River, right on the border of Georgia and South Carolina. That being the case, I knew a few Geechees, so I had heard of the boo hag when I was a child, but I never knew what it was. So there's a quick side note I want to make. I was yesterday years old when I learned that the only real difference between Gullah and Geechee is that the Gullahs reside in the Carolinas, North Carolina and South Carolina to be exact, and the Geechees reside in Georgia and Florida. But anyway, I am going to leave more information for you about the Gullah Geechees. Now, here's a snippet of a story about the boo hag. And in this story, we pick up after Emmett becomes suspicious of his new bride's behavior. Emmett and his bride got along reasonably well for a while. But after a few months, he began to notice that something peculiar was going on with his new wife. On certain nights when the clock struck midnight, Emmett would sometimes wake up to find that his wife wasn't in bed with him, nor could she be found anywhere in the house. Emmett began to get worried that she might be seeing someone else on the side and confronted her about it. But she would just laugh and reassure him that she was indeed in the house and that he must be having nightmares. As his wife began to disappear more often, Emmett decided to confide in one of his best friends who just gotten married too. After hearing Emmett's story, his friend shook his head and said, Emmett, I hate to say this, but it sounds to me like you done married yourself a boo hag. A boo hag, asked Emmett. What's a boo hag? His friend went on to explain. Well, a boo hag is an evil spirit that wakes up at night, sheds a skin like a snake, and flies outside and sucks the blood out of victims near and far. A boo hag is an evil spirit that sits on your chest and steals your voice. A boo hag is an evil spirit that sits on your back and rides you all night like a horse until you drop dead. Horrified, Emmett said, well, I sure don't want to be married to no boo hag. If that's what she is, what am I going to do about it? <laughs> now, there is also a Gullah Geechee account of a group of enslaved Africans from Nigeria, members of the Igbo tribe who chose death over slavery. Apparently, they turned away from the American shore, sang, and walked back into the waters of one of them coastal creeks. Legend has it that they walked back home. I've heard a couple of other explanations as to what happened, but to find out more, you'll have to check the links in the show notes. <sighs> All right now, honey, let's go out on the porch. I got the sweet tea waiting. Get your glass now. Anyway, back to what we was talking about before. So I remember when I was a little girl, me and my mom and dad went fishing. Now, let me just tell you about my parents. My parents were quite young when they had me. They weren't teenagers, but they were 
fresh into their 20s. So like 22 and 23. So they had this little baby, <laughs> which was me. And half the time, I don't think they knew what the hell they were doing. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, so they would take me fishing with them. Well, on this particular day, it was me and my dad and my mom. And I think my mom had walked off a little bit and I was standing right beside my dad while he was baiting a hook. Um, he reached back for something and somehow his arm hit me and I fell into the water. Now, this is not a pond that I fell into. I fell into the river, the Savannah River. <laughs> now, my dad said instinct just made him reach right into that water and pull me up. Now, if you know anything about my mama, my mama did not play. She was pissed. <laughs> she often told that story when she was alive. God bless her. I miss my mom so much. But um, honey, she wasn't having it that day. She was beyond mad with my dad about that situation. So from that point on, whenever they would go fishing, do you know what they would do? They would literally tie me to a tree. It was almost like a leash. I don't, I mean, I really don't know how to describe it, but it was, they had fashioned this little um, rope around my waist, not my neck, around my waist. And they would sit like a blanket up under there. So I had my own little picnic area. <laughs> If somebody was to see somebody do a child like that today, honey, they would be under the jail. Do you hear me? Up under the jail. So <laughs> I also have memories of going to fish fries when I was a little girl. Now, I don't know where you live if you're listening to this um, podcast, but we have something in the South we call fish fries. People get together, they bring their fish and they come to like one common area, usually in the back of the back of the woods. <laughs> and they would um, have the lanterns up. You can hear the music. You can hear the little grasshoppers and stuff because this was usually, like I said, late in the evening. Things. You would get plates with fish and grits or sometimes people who didn't eat grits. And, and I don't know where in the hell in the South you don't eat grits. <laughs> but every once in a while, you had some people who maybe didn't eat grits that wanted the um, the fish on a sandwich. And, and when I say sandwich, I'm talking about plain white bread <laughs> with mustard. Now, sometimes you would buy a drink, and when I say drink, I mean like a Coke or something like that. And when I say Coke, I mean any dark colored, uh, sugary black drink. <laughs> it could be Pepsi, it could be Dr. Pepper, it could be whatever we call them Cokes. But anyway, um, the person who was collecting those, we might call her like the fish fry woman, honey. She would reach down in her fish fry woman pocket, otherwise known as a bra, to make change and to collect money. <laughs> so I'm telling you, these are some things that are definitely very much a Southern thing. Now, another thing that I remember was going fishing with my dad and my granddad. Now, my granddad always had a boat. So when we would go fishing with him, this was not sitting out on the bank type of situations with buckets like my mom and dad. <laughs> this was us going out on the boat. Now, I remember we had a pretty amazing experience one time out on Lake Eufaula. We were planning on going to one spot, but my granddaddy was like, nah, I, I see the white caps. 
And um, if you know anything about being on a lake or, or fishing, white capped waves, it just means that the water is too hazardous, you know, and usually the wind is up too high. And uh, my granddad was like, no, nah, we can't fish over here because, you know, I see the white caps. But as you may know, there is more than one way to skin a cat. And my granddaddy knew all those waterways around you follow like the back of his hand. So he found us another little spot to go to. And it was way back in the cut. Um, it was surrounded by a lot of trees. And there was this little small island right in the middle. They started fishing. And I mean, every time they threw that line out, they would pull back some um, uh, another crappie. So we caught, I don't know why I say we, they caught a bunch of crappies that day. But while we were out there, we saw the funniest scene. And it was a scene of these little dogs who were trying to catch a rabbit. It was hilarious. That rabbit ran those dogs on the craziest wild goose chase you can ever imagine. And me, daddy, and granddaddy watched the whole thing unfold. Now, in the South, little scenarios like this one often become tomorrow's tall tales or supernatural stories. You know, I've had a good time playing around on water in many places, from that secluded area on Lake Eufaula to Lake Erie, the Mississippi River and Lake Pontchartrain in New Orleans, the Gulf of Mexico and the islands along South Carolina and Georgia coastlines. And in all of these places, I've seen some amazing things, and I love learning about the supernatural lore and superstitions associated with each one of these. Ah, but there's one other body of water that I didn't mention, and that's Lake Lanier. Lake Lanier in Georgia is said to be one of the most haunted bodies of water in the United States. The reasons why are quite sinister. Now, I do plan to talk about it, but I'm going to have to save that story for the darker half of the year. Child, that reminds me, I need to tell you the story about the headless ghost. Now, this ain't no story. This is supposed to be true. They keep finding these headless goats in the Chattahoochee River. Now, you ain't gonna believe who they think is doing it and why they think they are doing it. There's a man named Hot Dog who lives under the bridge. Now, Hot Dog took pictures and videos of the goats on a cell phone. Sometimes he even captured the moment they were flung from the highway. And he told investigators that the goats were usually freshly killed. They just go plop. Could be two in the morning or two in the afternoon. Honey, according to the article that I read on this, these killings have all the earmarks of ritual sacrifice. Now, my mama taught me not to knock anyone's religion. But I'm telling you now, if I saw a headless goat floating down the river, I would probably freak out. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, it's getting late. I see the evening star has already set over in the west. And I sure enjoyed y'all. Now, I left a lot of meat on the bones of this discussion. If any of you want to pick at them, just drop me a line at Gwen at the SouthernWitchingHour.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at the underscore southern underscore witching 
underscore hour. That's me. Like I said, y'all come over there and join me, honey, now, because I ain't got but like two or three followers. <laughs> so I need your help. Hey, and look, share this podcast with your family and friends. Let them know it's available on Amazon Music Audible, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and of course, Spotify. As I said before, I'm still working on Apple, honey. <laughs> anyway, I'll see y'all next time. And remember, Lady G loves you.